800-pound elephant in the room in this country is the large number of kids who enter the world without a father married to the mother. Mm. In 1965, 25% of black kids enter the world without a father married to the mother. And forget about elder. Barack Obama once said, a kid raised without a dad is five times more likely to commit uh, to be poor and and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Mm-hmm. Now it's 70% of black kids in the world without a father married to the mother. It's because the welfare state has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. 40% of all kids in America are born without a father in the house. 25% of white kids, half of all Hispanic kids, and we are doing nothing about it. We're not even talking about it. Even Republicans don't talk about it. And when you don't have a father in the house, it's not just an act, a, a, um, a financial problem, which is which is huge. It's you don't see two adults interact civilly, resolve problems. You don't see somebody get up and go to work in the morning when he doesn't want feel like going. All the values that it takes in order to be a responsible citizen, you don't have. That's why we have so much crime and such dropouts right now and a lot of people who are functionally illiterate. Eighth eighty five percent of eighth grade black kids in America can neither read nor write at proficiency levels. Mm. That means 85% of eighth graders, black eighth graders, are functionally illiterate. Mm. When you are functionally illiterate, you are easily misled by emotion. And it's a huge problem, and both both parties, in my opinion, completely ignore that issue. Yeah, I think, well, I think it, it aids certain political parties because the kids end up looking to the government. They look for a strong man. Right. They look for a father. And a boogeyman. And, and, they, and they look for something that made them a victim. Yeah. And that's why so many black people are misled into believing that America is systemically racist. I, it is not. So, executing a warrant to enter the home of a former president with guns, chase out his lawyers, and search the place is the single most reckless and stupid thing I have ever seen a political party do. And if there's a civil war in this country, which God forbid we do not want there to be a civil war, it will have begun with this. This is enough to start people on that road. It It could be 20 years from now, but when historians write about it, they will start with this stupid, stupid, stupid move. It's reckless. And let me talk about why I feel that I have a special authority to talk about this, all right? More than once, someone has written into either, either the mailbag or to me personally or somehow gotten their question on the air and said, when is Hillary Clinton going to be brought to justice and sent to jail? Hillary Clinton is a career criminal. She has done terrible, terrible things, among them putting classified documents on her private cell phone and then destroying the evidence when the FBI investigated as you recall, this was called carelessness by James Comey, and he said he doing the job of the Department of Justice. He announced he was not going; there was not going to be a prosecution, even though that was not for him to decide. Now they go in and raid, and so people would say to me, "You've written to me and said, when is she going to come to justice? When are we going to put her in jail?" And I said repeatedly, even though some of you got mad at me, I said, "We don't want that to happen. We do not want our political opponents." put in jail. We don't want to investigate and criminalize our politics. It is a bad, bad thing to do. And I'll tell you why in just a minute, but it's for, it's for the exact same reason why I've condemned January 6th repeatedly. Even though you tell me, oh, it was an FBI setup, or yes, it should have been done, or Trump didn't have anything to do with it. No, Trump didn't denounce it, and I've condemned it repeatedly. Why? I condemned it because it made us look like exactly what the left, the operatives on the left, say we are. This is not, okay, 
This is not whether we like it or not. Remember, politics is about things that happen whether we like them or not. Politics works in a certain way, just like the economy. The left wants to say, oh, we're going to do the economy this way. But the economy doesn't work that way, so they always ruin the economy. We have to understand politics is the same way. It works in certain ways whether we like it or not. This is not a country with one side in it. This is a country with two sides in it, divided down the middle. There are radicals on both sides and and sensible people in the middle on both sides. But it's divided down the middle, right and left. A reasonable, a reasonable respect for our opponents, our fellow citizens who disagree with us, who aren't radicals, who aren't Nancy Pelosi, who aren't AOC, who aren't corrupt politicians, but are just people who vote Democrat because that's how their fathers voted or they think it's nicer than voting Republican, why ever they do it, but they're honest, decent, hardworking American people who happen to vote for the other party. A decent respect for that, for them, makes it necessary for us to behave in such a way that they don't believe the far-left people like Nancy Pelosi and AOC who are telling them that we're monsters and Nazis and fascists and racists and all those things. I know you think that everybody is like that on the left, but it's not true. The majority of people on the left are normal people who vote Democrat for the same reason normal people on the right vote Republican, all kinds of different reasons. I'm a reasonable person. And when I see the DOJ charge in to the house of a former president, a duly elected president. He was duly elected by the laws of this country. There is no excuse for saying he was not the president or that Hillary Clinton secretly won or that Russia colluded with him. It's all nonsense. He was a duly elected president. And when they go in to his to his house, when they didn't go in uh, to Hillary Clinton's house, when she bleached her phones with bleach bit, a program that wipes her phones and hammered them so that you couldn't get any information, they didn't go in with him. And then they send armed men to search his house. Unless he's hiding a literally a literal militia in there, unless he's training a militia to organize the overthrow of the government. Now they're leaking stuff to the uh, press, which is making Trump laugh. Oh, he had nuclear uh, papers in there. Unless he had an actual bomb in there, this has not been done in the 232 years of this republic. They shouldn't have done it now. And I want to make it clear, this has nothing to do with Donald Trump. You know I have problems with him, but I also love some of the stuff he did. I don't care about Donald Trump. This has nothing to do with him. To do something this reckless, this stupid, this inherently violent in a country so divided and so on edge, it's an admission not just of failure, but of utter failure, a desperation to hold on to power long after the justification of your holding that power is way, way gone. There is a famous Edgar Allan Poe story. I don't know if people read Poe anymore. He was a wonderful, wonderful writer, wonderful poet, wonderful short story writer. And he wrote a very frightening story called The Telltale Heart. It's a great story. Here's what it's about. The narrator is a madman. He's got, he's had an illness. He's gone insane and he's works for as a private secretary or he somehow lives with this old man. And this old man has a weird eye. He has a bulging, a filmy eye. And the madman, the narrator of this thing is so terrified of this eye that he decides he's going to kill the old man. And one day he sees this guy's eye in the middle of the night and he smothers the old man and kills him, dismembers his body and hides it under the floorboards. Well, the old man screams once before he can kill him and the neighbors call the police and the police come over. And the police are interviewing the narrator, the murderer, and the murderer is as cool as he can possibly be and he's fooling the police and the police are totally fooled when suddenly he begins to hear thump, 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 
thump, thump. He hears the dead man's heart beating under the floorboards. And the thump, thump gets louder and louder and louder. Thump, 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 until he believes the cops must hear it too. And they're just making fun of him, pretending to believe him. And he finally confesses and he tears up the the floorboards and he takes out the heart and he says, here it is. Here is the beating of this hideous heart. And now when people read this horror story by Edgar Allan Poe, and they always say, well, the heartbeat is the sound of his guilt. And yes, That's true. But you have to remember, he killed this guy because of that eye staring at him. So just the fact that he was being seen ignited enough guilt for him to do the murder in the first place. Something about himself, he hated himself so much that just the prospect of this eye looking at him. This is... Donald Trump is a perfect metaphor for this. Donald Trump has many flaws. He made many mistakes, especially in that last year of the presidency when he let Fauci take over and he shut down the economy. Many mistakes. He was not a perfect guy. But that's not why he drove the Democrats insane. He drove the Democrats insane because of the fearlessness with which he pointed out their corruption and their malfeasance when he talked about the things that they did. Remember, just like the eye staring at this guy and driving him mad, they went mad before Trump had ever done anything. The Steele dossier, the phony dossier that they used to launch that stupid fake hoax investigation into Russian collusion was gathered during the campaign, not afterwards. He already had driven them insane. Comey went and briefed him about the Steele dossier and all that, the P-tape and all that stuff, uh, all that fake stuff, so he could, so that the uh, information could be leaked to the press before Trump took office. They already knew, before Trump did anything, they already knew that a man like this who said whatever he wanted, who had no break on his tongue, who had no discipline, no political discipline, and wasn't one of them, was going to expose them for what they are, the incredible failures, the incredible creeping state that has taken over our freedoms and essentially nullified our Constitution. They knew the minute they saw him that he was trouble for them and was getting in the way of that slow, blob-like spread of the deep state. You know, I have this thesis that I talk about a lot, that a lot of our troubles in this moment are due to the Internet, right? The internet has brought about the spread of of information, the democratization of information, so that we can see in front of us how bad our leaders are, how self-interested they are, how unwedded to the Constitution that they've sworn to protect they are. We can see them now. We can see their failures. We can see all the bad things they've done, and they want it to stop. They want to censor us on Twitter, on Facebook, everything. They want the control of information back so we can't see what they were doing, and Trump was the end of that. Trump just said, I'm going to say everything. The press is corrupt. I'm not going to pretend they're not corrupt. I'm not going to pretend that they're not uh, left-wingers, left-wing activists pretending to be journalists. I'm going to say what has to be said. The great society of the Dem- that the Democrats love and they feed off, they feed off those welfare programs and that money, it has failed to elevate the underclass. And now when they call us racist, we say, no, no, it's you. You did this. You destroyed the black family. You addicted people to welfare. You're the people who keep people down if they're if they don't have the natural uh, get up and go to work their way out of poverty you are the ones who have crushed them over your crappy welfare programs that you feed off of that you buy votes with you're the ones who addicted them to this not just black people white people too what poor whites too are, are also uh, have had their families destroyed by this stuff when you close the schools because you were kowtowing to your corrupt teachers' unions, parents could actually watch that those same corrupt teachers corrupting their children with their sexual perversion. And when they complained about it, the 
that those same corrupt uh, unions complained to the DOJ and instantly, instantly, Merrick Garland said, oh yeah, we'll investigate them to see if they're terrorists, see if mom and dad are terrorists. We've seen Anthony Fauci lie in real time. It's all right there, and they want that hideous eye that is watching them to go away. And now that they have chased Trump out of power, now that they have gotten Trump out of power, he is like the sound of the telltale heart. They hear him coming back. They're so afraid of him. They see the people he's endorsing rising, and they want him to stop. It's like, it's like you know, in the story, it's tr- thump, 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 thump. It's Trump, 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 Trump. That's all they hear. And they, they've made this terrible, terrible mistake that something would happen in Argentina, something that would happen in a two-bit dictatorship where one party raids the other party. And again, remember, when you said, oh, they should do this to Hillary Clinton, I said, no, that is not how we operate. We have our arguments at the ballot box, and we settle them by voting, not by criminalizing the police. But the Democrats can't stand it because they fail at everything, and we can see them, and Trump says that they fail, and he says that they lie, and they cannot stand the beating of that hideous heart. Trump, 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 Trump. They can't stand it. Trump, of course, seized on this immediately uh, for a fundraiser. And here is a video he put out uh, talking about what he felt about the country. This cut seven. We are a nation that is begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia for oil. We are a nation that surrendered in Afghanistan, leaving behind dead soldiers, American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and it will only get worse. We are a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never before. We've never seen anything like this. We are a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is about all you get. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed where crime is rampant like never before, where the economy has been collapsing, where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. Now, you can say anything you want about that ad. You can say it's cynical. You can say he's raising money. You can say he's being opportunistic. But there's one thing you can't say about that ad. You can't say it's untrue. It is all true. These guys have ruined everything they touch. They have abused their power. They've abused it in the press. The press is full of liars. The press is just as corrupt as the administration is. The the internet has exposed them, and they feel themselves losing their grasp on power. This is an aging, sclerotic regime that feels its power slipping away, and all they hear when they look at Donald Trump is Trump, 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 Trump. He's coming to get them, and now they have made a stupid, stupid, reckless, violent mistake. This is a dumb thing to do. And again, I don't care what Trump has done. I don't care whether he's broken the law. I don't care whether he has classified papers. This is not the way we deal with this in this country, but it is now. And that's on them. Do you want more Claveny goodness? You know you do. So like and subscribe and subscribe to the Andrew Claven podcast. I have never been more frightened for my country than I am right now. We have 350 million people. Some of them are bat crap crazy 24 hours a day, no matter who is the president. Somebody's going to do something stupid. 
And the people that I would like to see behind bars, those who are intentionally trying to distort, dismantle, and destroy our republic and the Constitution, they will use any and every opportunity they have uh, to push people in a certain direction, cast them in a certain light. Um, we, 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 I think we're at exactly the same place we were um, in the Revolutionary War. A sane person would look at this and say, there is no way to win. Because there isn't any way to win. Unless we remember who we are and rise above it. And that doesn't mean that we embrace communists. <laughs> How long have I been... I'm the guy who educated America about what progressivism is. Do you think I feel like we can just hug each other and hug each other out? No. This is going to be one or the other. You're going to have an authoritarian state that tells everybody exactly what to do, what you can buy. You will be a serf. Or we're going to have a new chapter of freedom. Getting to either one of these is going to be ugly. We must try absolutely everything we can. And November is the best way to do it. But I'm telling you, I told these people in Washington, Mitch McConnell's walking around going, murder's going to tell people that we're better than the Democrats. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. We need a plan of action to save the country. Now, those are the people I want to vote for. I don't know if I can trust any of them. Experience would tell me fat freaking chance. But I urge everyone to do this first. I urge you to call your senator and your congressman and say, stop it. Enforce the Constitution and demand constitutional rule. What's happening is not in the Constitution. I know the Constitution is a great document. No, it's not. It is the greatest governmental document ever produced. Our Constitution has lasted over 200 years. The average Constitution in the world has lasted 17 there is something different and special about this. Now, what's fallen apart is we're at each other's throats. Why are we at each other's throats? Not because the average person disagrees with each other. The average person, we were all on the same page with George Floyd. All of us. We all saw that and went, whoa, that has got to stop. That is wrong. And the system worked and put him in jail. Others distorted and put a funhouse mirror in front of us and then started whispering, you know, they're really against you. We were in lockstep. The problem is, as Lincoln said, we have people on the inside and between the media, social media, and even this damn program. We don't see 
that our neighbor, the one that we're with in our community, doesn't agree with the crazies in New York, in, in uh, Washington, D.C. And so we just start to believe that everybody is like that. I'm telling you there is 10 to 20 percent, and I think that's maximum, that are hardcore destroy the country. The rest of us may not agree with each other, but we like America. We might disagree on how much of a problem America has been in the past. We'll argue on taxes and the best way to take care of each other. But we don't want to destroy the nation. There are those that do. The first thing we must do is separate between the two. When you start saying, get them, get who? Who? Which ones? My neighbor? The Antifa people? Who? I'm sorry if I am out of step with you. But when I started this job, the week of September 11th, I promised him I would do my best to find the answers, to share them with you, and stand up for what I truly believed he would have me do. Every mistake I've ever made is because I thought I got it. Oh, I got it. I got it. Now I got it. All we can do is the best we can do right now. And the best thing that you can do is as the crowd gets louder, do not scream for more blood. As the crowd gets louder, we must become more quiet and humble. But in the way of Jesus, he turned, stop thinking of Jesus Christ only as a lamb. He was also a lion, but he was a lion that roared against injustice. Just because you want to be reasoned, quiet, Christ-like, does not mean that you do not turn over tables. The tables here have to be turned over. The money changers have got to be chased out of our republic's temple in Washington, D.C. And I am all for that. But not, not any other way than constitutionally. If this country falls, if there is no, contra if, if, if there is no constitution, if all of a sudden we're taken over by communist space pigs and they're like, here's a new communist space pig propaganda piece and you got to live this way. I and my family will live under the principles of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution and the Holy Scriptures. That is now and forever will be how I 
manage my house. The rest of the world be damned. It will be preserved by me. And I pray that there are millions of Americans that feel the same. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be with fellow patriots tonight and at this season of the year. On this memorable day of gratitude, I'd like to speak about a critical choice currently facing our country. Will we choose to be a nation under God or without God? This raises a fundamental question. Did the Founding Fathers coincidentally and conveniently appear on the scene at the same time? or that were they raised up to establish a nation under God. Historian Barbara Tuckman, referring to the Founding Fathers, noted, quote, it would be invaluable if we could know what produced this burst of talent from a base of only two and a half million inhabitants, end of quote. But we do know what produced this burst of talent. It was not a series of random bursts or genetic aberrations. Rather, it was pursuant to God's master plan for America. The Bible tells us that God hath determined the times before appointed, meaning when we would come to this earth, and the bounds of their habitation, meaning where we would be born. And so it was with the Founding Fathers. God sent them forth at a specified time and place to fulfill their divinely appointed mission. And what was that mission? It was to form a government that would establish our God-given rights, including freedom of speech and religion, so that we could become a nation under God, not a nation without God. On this day, we honor the Declaration of Independence, which sets forth those God-given rights. But in and of itself, the Declaration was not sufficient. We needed a document that would not just define those rights, but also protect them. Hence, the Constitution. William Gladstone, a former British Prime Minister, observed, the American Constitution is the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man. James Madison, known as the father of the Constitution, reflected upon the hand of God in such a document. He said, it's impossible for the man of pious reflection not to perceive in it a finger of the almighty hand, which has been so frequently and signally extended to our relief in the critical stages of the revolution. The Constitution, however, was not just a patchwork of ideas from other nations' charter of documents. James Madison spoke of the uniqueness of this document in the entirety of history. He said, the Founding Fathers reared the fabrics of government which have no model on the face of the globe. Who then were these Founding Fathers that produced such a remarkable document? Were they heroes or some claim villains? Ted Stewart, a federal judge and author, put this question in its proper light. Quote, today he said it's common to criticize the Founders of America. Judging them by today's standards of equality and justice, they do fail. Some own slaves. None fought to give women equal rights. 
most were wealthy white men. Yes, judging the founders by today's standards of equality and justice, they fail. But he said there is just one problem with judging them by today's standards, and it is this. But for those imperfect founders and the sacrifices that they made and the instruments of government which they created, there would be no current enlightened standards of equality and justice by which to judge them. <laughs> Judge Stewart is so right. The reason the critics can freely criticize, protest, vote for change, run for office, and exercise freedom or irreligion as they choose is for one reason and one reason only, because the Founding Fathers made it so. We are part of the greatest democracy the world has ever known. If unwilling to acknowledge the Founding Fathers' inspired and timely exper experiment, one must wonder, do the critics believe our liberties came about by chance or they were spawned by evil men? If so, how do they reconcile such a position with the unerring logic of the Savior who said, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It seems somewhat hypocritical to partake of and enjoy the fruits of liberty today while at the same time criticizing the very tree that produced such fruit, namely the Founding Fathers. Some might argue that even without our Founding Fathers, our democracy would have eventually evolved, and therefore they did nothing special. But history would not be kind to such a proposition. At the time of our Founders' noble experiment, there was nothing like it in the world. For centuries, even millennia of recorded history, there was no comparable democracy that had the breadth of liberties and the lasting power of what they created. Theirs was a bold and ingenious initiative from which many other countries would subsequently pattern their governments. If nothing else, the burden of proof has shifted to the critics. That the founders established our democracy is a certainty. That there would have been a similar democracy without them, as claimed by some naysayers, is no more than a speculative possibility without any historical precedent whatsoever. As inspired as the Constitution is, the Founding Fathers repeatedly declared that it could not exist as a viable document unless, first and foremost, there existed a moral people. John Adams summarized their feelings in these words. Our Constitution, he said, was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Why his reference to religion? Because the Founding Fathers knew that religion was the best catalyst for establishing a moral people. They knew it was a counterbalance to man's natural self-interest and desire for power. Some years ago, Harvard professor Clayton Christensen had a profoundly insightful conversation with a Marxist economist from China 
who was in Boston on a Fulbright scholarship. He asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected while in the United States. Without hesitation, the man replied, yes, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. Democracy works best because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. He then added that Americans followed the rules because they had come to believe they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. Professor Christensen then expressed concern over what would happen to our democracy if religion were diminished in America and people were no longer voluntarily chose to obey the law. He then offered this tragic conclusion. The founding thought, if you take away religion, he said, you cannot hire enough police. The Founding Fathers understood this principle. The more the morality and religion, the less the need for government intervention and compulsory enforcement, and thus the greater our liberties. If God's moral law and religion are not the foundation for our society, then secularism will rapidly and radically replace that void. Since religion is indeed the best vehicle to encourage living God's moral laws, the Founding Fathers demonstrated by their words and actions that religion in general should be encouraged in the public as well as private sector without ever fostering a national religion. Based on the rationale in the Supreme Court case of Town of Greece versus Galloway, the court ruled that freedom of religion can best be determined under the Constitution if we can discover the original intent of the Founding Fathers on the subject, as evidenced by their, quote, historical practices and understandings. This seems reasonable, as who would know better the intent of the First Amendment than the very men who drafted and debated its language. What then were the feelings and practices concerning the need for religion and the public sector as thought by these founding fathers? First, religion and public education. The Northwest Ordinance, which regulated the Western expansion of the United States, was ratified in 1789 by the very same Congress that adopted the Constitution. It stated, and I quote, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. What did the founding fathers say should be encouraged in schools? Religion and morality. Second, religion and government. John D.A., a founding father and the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, noted, quote, it is the duty of all wise, free, and virtuous governments to do what? To countenance and encourage virtue and religion. Third, religion and public monuments. Numerous public monuments sanctioned and paid for by the government make reference to God. For example, Lincoln's second inaugural address, engraved on the wall of the Lincoln Memorial, mentions God 14 times and references the Bible four times. 
Does that sound like a government that wanted to remove references to God and the Bible from the public domain? Fourth, religious prayer in public sector. Prayer has been the focus of presidential prayer breakfasts and the traditional beginning of each congressional session by a clergyman, initiated and sanctioned by whom? The Founding Fathers. Fifth, religion in government pronouncements and activities. Our currency contains the words, in God we trust. Our national anthem makes reference to God. Our Pledge of Allegiance acknowledges that we are one nation under God. All of these evidence God's government's encouragement of religion in the public sector. And six, religion as practiced by Thomas Jefferson in the public sector. Thomas Jefferson is often quoted by the secularists for his statement about a wall of separation between church and state, a statement often taken out of context. Jefferson was responding to a letter from the Danbury Baptists who were concerned that the free exercise of religion clause might be interpreted as a government-granted right and thus subject to change or compromise rather than a God-given right that could not be changed or compromised under any circumstance. Based on that concern, Jefferson replied that the free exercise of religion clause was a restoration of man's natural rights, meaning a right that pre-existed government, namely a God-given right. Accordingly, Jefferson assured the concerned Baptists that there was a wall preventing government from intruding into the free exercise or expression of religion, but likewise a wall that prevented the establishment of a national religion. In other words, government was not to prohibit the free exercise of religion in the public sector except for the establishment of a national religion. Furthermore, if actions speak louder than words, then Jefferson's actions should evidence his true opinion on the role of religion in the public sector. In his second inaugural address, he invited the audience to join with him in supplications to God for the nation's well-being. With Franklin, Jefferson proposed a national seal with these words, God or Providence has favored our undertaking, knowing that such a symbol or seal would become a public symbol. In addition, Jefferson, as well as James Madison, the father of the Constitution, attended church services where, of all places, in the Capitol building, one of those visible of government buildings. These actions clearly condoned religious worship in public settings. No wonder Supreme Court Justice William Rehnquist opined the wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history, a metaphor which has proved useless as a guide to judging. It should be frankly and explicitly abandoned." End of quote. The history of the Founding Fathers is clear and unmistakable. They encouraged religion in the public sector. Why? Because it was the best means to promote morality. And without a moral people, they knew the Constitution could not survive 
as a viable instrument. I love America. I love and respect our founding fathers who made incredible sacrifices to establish and preserve the liberties we so abundantly enjoy. I revere the American flag and the ideals for which it stands. I cherish the times I can pledge allegiance or sing the star-spangled banner as we did tonight and chills went up my spine. There is a sacred spirit that accompanies these symbols and activities because they are divinely inspired. I acknowledge and express gratitude to God for His merciful hand in the origin and destiny of this nation. It is now our choice and America's choice to continue the legacy of our founding fathers or to cast it aside, to be a nation under God or without God. Hopefully, each of us might declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then we will be entitled to the then we will be entitled to the promise of the psalmist, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord." In His holy name, Amen.